0: The, the, one of my favorite lines is that, um, that is said by uh, Billy Porter is we are more than a splash of color on your white canvas. Mm. And um, it's, mm. it's powerful, but so true. You know what, there's more to us than that. So there's no need to reinvent us. And, and I think that, you know, whether it's in the advertising and marketing and now entertainment industry, you know, what we're looking for is equity. We're not looking for anything else. We're just looking for, you know, when you when you represent a white male in a, you know, in a spot or in a in a program, you don't stereotype them. You give them the ability to be anybody who they want to be, anybody mm. they can be, right? So what we want in return is when you hire a, a black, a Hispanic, a, a, a Asian, a trans, whatever actor that you decide to to hire, just give them the opportunity to be as big as they can be, just like everybody else.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ad Blocking with Jason Dwayne Smith. The world around us is, well, different. We're living in a time that tests all of our boundaries and beliefs. It's not always easy. And sometimes, talking about ads is the last thing any of us want to do. Ad Blocking is a podcast, or maybe a safe space, where real people, real marketers, talk about everything but advertising stories of growing up coming out falling down and looking in underneath it all we're all just humans on today's episode i speak with lisette arsuaga co-president and co-founder of the alliance for inclusive and multicultural marketing or in some circles aim above being an entrepreneur a successful businesswoman and philanthropist. Lisette is a wind of change that flows not just through our ad industry, but her home, her community, and beyond. In our discussion, Lisette and I talk about the importance of having someone believe in you, being thankful, and how life isn't about what you do, but the consciousness and purpose behind how you do it. Lisette? and someone that I consider a hero, and a beacon of gratitude. Our discussion was both inspiring, yet also extremely informative. I hope you all learn as much as I did in this conversation with Lisette, and take her light into your world and practice of love each day. And with that, let's dive in.
0: To a cabin in the middle of nowhere he was just texting me and i said to him just make sure you don't get eaten by bears so he was just <laughs> calling me to tell me you know he's been calling me every day to tell, you know mom i'm still alive i have not gotten eaten by a bear so that was him I mean well, that uh, wasn't the bear uh, calling and it was my son calling but, uh,
2: <laughs> well i mean it's almost a perfect way to kick off the conversation because you know Everyone is kind of living in between the bounds these days of okay, you know, I'm I'm balancing my work, my, 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 my personal life, my my spiritual life all kind of together. So uh it's difficult to separate them. But we I wanted to start by just talking a little bit about how we met and you know, your how you have inspired me from afar and fortunately more recently nearby. But you know, Lizette, you have been someone that You know, we're not gonna talk a lot about work today or industry, but you excel and exceed the expectations of what this ad industry is about and that you live by purpose. What you do every day is intended to make what we do a better place, a better space, a safer space and a more welcoming and inclusive space for all of us. And I reached out to you partly because I share in that same sentiment Um, It's something that I'm very passionate about is the beauty of us as humans and how connected we can be when we think, just like you said, how much we have to be thankful for. And so a lot of the discussion that I've been challenging my friends to have with me is thinking about this year. 2020 has been certainly enlightening um, for some challenging, for some discouraging, and for some you know, presented some new opportunities, but however you look at it, it is absolutely demanded adaptability and change from all of us. So I wanted to start, Lissette, with just asking you, if you were to reflect on the year 2020, uh, how has it changed you? How has it impacted you and what you bring into the world?
0: Uh, you know what? I. I um... I, I, it's it's crazy the way this year has gone by. First of all, I still think we're in the middle of the spring and summer is coming because you just are indoors so much and you know you forget about so many things that you're missing out on. And um, I think that what I am incredibly thankful or for is I mean I've always been really close to my family. I have three kids, uh, my husband, and you know very tight knit family. And my two older kids already. Uh, are, are not living at home anymore. They have their own apartments. I have my youngest here who um, graduated from high school, didn't have a senior prom, didn't have a graduation, and now is doing um, his freshman year in college from home. So not not the best year. And, you know, I guess when I look at my life and I think, well, thank God I'm not 18 years old and missing out on key moments that, you know, that you remember forever. But at the same time, you um, I've been able to spend time with my kids in in ways that we never did before. And with my family, I mean, we, um, you know, we spend weekends together, we we talk about, you know, a lot we, during the elections, you know, we were able to share our passion for change and for growth and for equality. And, um, and I, uh, I'm proud that my kids um, are as passionate about these subjects as I am, you know, uh, you feel like, um, in a world in which uh, we talk about the fact that you know millennials or Gen Zers see everybody as the same and think that you know everybody has the same opportunities and they don't see color, uh, I think that's um, naive of us who are older than that in believing that our young generation actually believes that. Um, if um, if, if no other example, I think the TikTok example of of youth um, making sure that you know they filled a stadium that was empty um, shows you how passionate they are and how able they are to affect change. And I think that. Uh, you know, we've we've realized that that this young segment of our population isn't as you know as is self-centered and um, and oblivious to the world as we thought they were, and they're doing much more for our society than we gave them credit for. And and if we take the time to spend with them every day and listen to their thoughts and and we give them the opportunities to affect change, they do that. And and we are the ones who are you know on the sidelines watching that change happen, and that's pretty exciting.
2: Well, I love the reference to acknowledgement and empowerment and value of young people. However you describe young, you know, young isn't always an age or a number, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm young.
2: Right, exactly. Seriously, no. (laughs) Seriously, it really is the heart and your spirit and your vigor. It really does define youth, I would say. And I like the way that you really capture the power of that particular dynamic of our community. And so I want to maybe build on that youth aspect, which is learning a bit more about your youth. When you were growing up, you didn't get to where you are today without people that believe in you, just like you believe in the youth culture, however you define it, giving them opportunities, giving them a voice. So, Lissette, I would love for you to talk to me a little bit about inspiration or mentors or moments that you can remember from your early days that have really inspired you to become the person that you are today?
0: Uh, you know, what's really interesting is I think my my um, impetus in the development started when I went to college. I went to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and um, I I had lived all my life in Puerto Rico until then. Uh, so I went from a, a tropical climate where I was surrounded by like Puerto Ricans everywhere that, you know, there wasn't any such thing as, oh, you're Latina or you're this. It was, you know, we were all the same. Uh, yeah, we, there was black, there was white, there was, you know, uh, Asian, there was Jewish, there was, I mean, so there was some diversity, but um, I was always like just a, a, a young woman growing up. You know, there was never any way of that I was... Um, uh, uh, identified and, and grouped with other people and I moved to the States and all of a sudden it was like oh you're Puerto Rican or you're Hispanic and you know where in Mexico is that and and where you know do you do you need a passport to come into the United States and you know do you have cars in Puerto Rico or you know or do you travel by um by um horses and I mean that so the amount of ignorance I think that I I encountered in a university that is Pretty outstanding when it comes to its educational um, merit that you need to be able to to have in order to get there was pretty um, astounding to me, and I realized that you know that I was part of a group, um, if you will, you know, a counterculture that I never knew that 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 existed or that I was to be a part of that, and um, I found myself. one person at a time correcting people and telling them well just because i'm puerto rican doesn't mean that i can't also be white or that Mm. i can't also be asian or that i can't also be black just because i'm puerto rican doesn't mean that i can't also be gay or straight or this or that and uh, i think that passion developed like if i'm going to live in this country then i'd have to do something to to be able to enlighten people um about about diversity and about differences and in, and in, in where people come from, you know, and um, I, I in, throughout my career, I worked in venture philanthropy, nonprofit. I I worked in pol- pol- political consulting, and when I did political consulting the first time, it was in um, uh, the year um, two thousand, and it was an election where the importance of the Hispanic vote wasn't really as um, as prevalent as it is now. Yet um, I found myself understanding when doing research about about subjects and everything that that there were areas that were very relevant to the lively livelihood and, and survival and, and and improvement of lives of Hispanics everywhere, uh, and I worked with incredible individuals as far as um th- that knew the political landscape and gave me the ability to be able to um embed that Hispanic point of view and that Hispanic passion that I had into the political consulting that I was doing and and, and we were able to do things in Spanish for the first time like you you know that wasn't something that you did you don't need to speak to these people in Spanish because if mm. you're speaking Spanish then you have no reason to vote you know mm. this is America mm. English so there was no understanding as to you know why do I need to reach these people in Spanish and so um, I worked in, you know, um, it, it doing that. And then I did, you know, I, I've worked in, in human rights groups and in uh, human trafficking and, and the importance of, of, uh, of ensuring that our, our children uh, are cared for and reared for in the right way. I was fortunate to work with a group with Oprah Winfrey, Maya Angelou. I worked on a project with Don Francisco with um, in Hispanic group um, with Cristina Saralegui. Incredible people that understood that um, the value of life starts right as we give birth and you need to start cherishing that moment with your child. The minute that you give birth, Um, you need to talk to them and sing to them and and caress them and tell them that you love them. Even if you don't, you know, they don't understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So I've been, my career has been one in which I've been able to be part of projects that have impacted people's lives. And I've done that because people around me have been and those who I worked for, um, were visionaries and understood the the importance of the work they were doing, but I was also able to do it because they believed in me and gave me the ability to to bring my voice, my passion, and my experience into into the mix. And I think that when you're able to do that um, in any corporation, you know, I mean, sometimes people think, oh, you, you know, you're it's a start start uh, entry level position and you're just starting out, and you know, listen and you'll learn, and you know, that's doing a disservice to everyone. It's not listen and you learn you know, listen, you'll learn. And if you have something to say, by all means, open your mouth and say it, because we will learn as much from you as you as we will, as you will from us, if if this is the right place for you.
2: I think it's a great perspective of like, you have to give people an opportunity starts with an opportunity. And while this isn't necessarily your story, if if you don't mind, I, I'd like to share a little bit about my story and relationship with Labeling, you know, and mm-hmm. how 2020 for me has really made me rethink this concept of labeling. So as you started to talk about in your world, the sort of definition of Hispanic and how that is encountered or responded to in sort of mainstream America, certainly when you were at University of Michigan, it has really made me think about how prior to this year, and even somewhat within this year, we've become a victim of labeling an entire culture under one umbrella. Mm -hmm. And for me, this year has actually made me appreciate the diversity within diversity, I guess. And that when I talk to other people that may be of African-American descent per se, there's a beauty in seeing the diaspora and all its beautiful colors and complexity. Folks that, you know, may have a very conservative background and may have a very sort of liberal background or, or, or may have a belief system that is very religious or, 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 or maybe, you know, a bit more secular. And we don't all come from the same belief system per se. And there's a beauty in actually seeing the complexity in diversity. So I guess that question, I mean, that perspective brings me to a question for you, Lizette, which is, how have you thought about our world, our society, thinking about multiculturalism as a more complex space, even when you talked about using Spanish language to talk to people in politics, You know, if we're watching politics this year, every Hispanic person doesn't have the same voting preference. They don't have the same priorities. It's so much more complex. And this year has really challenged me to think a bit more about the individual versus the umbrella. But I'm often challenged, Lisette, with feedback from people that tell me, well, kudos to you, man, for thinking about the individual, because we have so many systems in place. And This stuff is embedded in society. So you can't think about people on an individual level, but I'm trying my best to approach, I guess, adaptability and acceptance on a person by person level. So I just didn't know if that kind of struck a bell with you as you talk about diversity and I think about the complexity within it, should we be thinking about this as more of an individual perspective? And if so, how do we get to the hearts and minds of people as opposed to these labels per se? that's a fair question.
0: You know what, I don't think it's either or, I think it's both. I think that, you know, um, sometimes what we're passionate about is what brings us together and what we have in common, you know, so looking at us as as a, as a common group um, is something that is very powerful, um, but I think it's important to to not get lost in that, right, and to make sure that we are looking at the individual as well, and, you know, I mean, if you're looking at, Yesterday, um, during the a Multicultural Conference, during one of the breaks, uh, they had this these, um, this, research that Pandora uh, recently conducted, and it said uh, what each group wanted, like, you know, and it said 55% of Hispanics um, want to be uh, represented show that want, um, brands to show the diversity that exists within the Hispanic market mm. and not just state, okay, oh, this person is what we've stereotyped as looking like a Hispanic person. So this is what we're casting and this is what we're showing. And I mm. think that, you know, that's, you know, when it, so when it comes to, you know, um, Asian. You have so many different countries, and you have so many different languages. And with you know, Black, as you said, I mean, right now there's a there's you know, it's one of the highest, or maybe not this year, but in the last couple of years, highest influx of um, blacks coming from Haiti, from you know, from Jamaica, from uh, Northern Africa, um, and. And so, so the diversity of that black segment is completely different. These people aren't African American; they're black, and they think about themselves as very different. Their culture is different than people. And you know, you look at, at blacks in the in the South versus in the, in the East. And the same thing is with Hispanics. I mean, if you're an affluent person from Mexico, you might be very different uh, because social classes in the, in Latin America are still very you know determine your culture and your in the way you interact and that is brought here and the way you know your passion points are are very different if you're you know coming from you know the Dominican Republic versus if you're coming from Guatemala you know and um and i think understanding those differences and me as a you know as a consultant and doing you know multicultural marketing i have to understand how people are different in order to connect with them but i also have to understand how they're the same so i can mm-hmm. create campaigns that are relevant to all right so i think it's it's a little bit of both and you know and that's on a business level but I think on a personal level, and then maybe bringing 2020 back into this and, and the pandemic, you know when you when you have a face in front of you, and, and that's an individual face, it's forced us to get to know our, each other in a different way, right? I mean, I know what your house looks like. I know that you have dogs who jump on your lap in the middle of a conversation or you're potty training your kid. And then that, that kid comes out and says, daddy or mommy, I gotta go potty. And it's in the middle of a conversation. It's humanized us in ways that we never, you know, had that human interaction before. We were always separating our professional life from our personal life. Um, and now that we're working from home, or as they say, um, Um, sleeping in the office, Mm. Um, those that, that um, intermingle is of, of, of your both lives. It's just, there's no separation. And, um, and it's on the one hand, yeah, maybe it's a little challenging. We don't leave our homes. We're getting, you know, a little bit stir crazy and everything, but at the same time, it's humanized everybody. And I think when you have a CEO on a screen and you have an entry level person on the, that same screen and we're all the same and we all have the same little square, the CEO doesn't have a bigger square. It's the same square, same box. And, you know, and we're all sharing some ideas. It it, it brings us all to the same place.
2: I love I I love the reference to the square. You're right there. No one gets a bigger square on these things. No one gets a bigger screen. It. We're all we're all in the same place and, and maybe it is a great equalizer you know and you know if i kind of think about this equalizing dialogue i look at you and i say lisette has the beauty of two great gifts and then some scenarios you may look at it as "Wow, maybe the challenge of of two potential disruptors and that is one being a woman two being a multicultural woman. And if you think about equalization, I can remember for me starting out professionally, there were moments, Lisette, where I was an extreme quote unquote code switcher, right? And we're familiar with that term. And for folks that are listening that may not be familiar with that term, it is a term that is often used in the multicultural community in which we have a very particular way of representing ourselves in our own communities, but because of the dynamics of our professional settings, we may switch that representation to be a bit more acceptable to the majority or white America. And so I wanted to ask you, coming up in your profession and also in your personal life, do you kind of remember a moment where you just became very comfortable in set? all of you, your whole you, everything, a woman, multicultural, brilliant, smart, all the parts of you. Because I think a lot of people still struggle with being able to take the entire pie and bring it into the life every day because of fear of rejection, fear of judgment, fear of labeling, and what that may mean to them, especially in the multicultural community. But I see you as someone that isn't afraid to be everything that you are all the time. And I, just wanted to know if you can recall a moment or a sequence of events that gave you that confidence to be your whole self and what you do and how you impact others around you.
0: Um, to, to be honest, I don't know that there was a single moment, you know, when that happened. And I, you know, I think that, I think no matter how comfortable you are with yourself and how determined you are to affect change and how determined you are to show people that the stereotypes that they have about you and your groups are incorrect and and you want to serve as an example it's a, it's always a every day is is a new day right and um you know you you can read a newspaper and it says you know these five guys broke into a house and raped and killed a woman and the first thing that comes to my mind is oh please don't let let the names not be hispanic right that's the first thing that comes or let the picture not be of a hispanic guy and you know and and you know i'm sure that as a black man you think the same thing oh please don't let, don't let that person be black because what you're doing every day to combat those stereotypes you feel like they're taking that away from you they're taking away that work because they're they're reinforcing those stereotypes that are just so wrong right and it's that one moment that one person whereas there can be a million positive moments but the one one moment that people focus on is that moment and that what's become that's what defines you um but i mean i i will give you an example i mean i um like in a country right now where you know speaking another language is is looked down upon even though you know it gives you the ability to communicate with so many more people in the world by speaking another language you know i i I find, you know, that I'm in a place and I might be speaking Spanish and people are looking at me nastily. Like, you know, why are you speaking Spanish? And there's some days that you wanna deal with it and you just keep doing it and other days. And, you know, sometimes it's the Spanglish and you go back and forth and then before you know it, you might be speaking English and it's not purposeful. But I think that it just depends how you wake up in the morning. And sometimes you have the energy to fight it. And other times you say, you know what, not today. And um and it's 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 exhausting. It's exhausting because it doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, that, um, you know, that's in, in the nonprofit world, they say, if you did a good job, it means you put yourself out of a job, right? Because it means mm. that that need, that need isn't there anymore. Um, and uh, unfortunately, when it comes to, you know, needing to, to fight those stereotypes and needing to make sure that that. Who I am as a person not only defines me, but also helps define my my ethnicity and, and 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 helps define the the ability of Hispanic women to to do whatever they want because they can do whatever they want um is something that you have to fight for every day. And it doesn't mean that if you bring your entire self, you might be able to affect change, but you might be shut out. And if you don't bring your entire self, sometimes some it means that it's somebody else's turn. And that day they, they take over and, and, and say what needs to be said. Um, so does that answer your question?
2: It does. Yeah, no, it does. I think it's reflecting on that risk and being vulnerable and open to the results of that risk. As long as you're doing it with the right intention, you know, and maybe it's a good pivot into risk taking. You don't get to where you are without taking some risks. Well, I hope you don't. If you did, please write a book about it. <laughs> because I love to read it. And I think, I think, Lisette, a lot of people that will listen to our conversation right now, they're faced with some pretty difficult decisions, whether it be about what they do for work, whether it be about how they manage their home and childcare, whether it be about their own self-care and how they take care of their bodies and their physique and their health and wellness. So I just wanted to ask you the question that's about a moment in which you felt like you took a major risk that has led you to the life that you have now. If it's about the work you do, fine, but your life. You've got a great family. You've got wonderful children. You have a great home. You talked to me earlier about a lot of the places that you lived and where you've been, but I have to imagine on that journey, there had to have been some decisions that were made that at the moment didn't seem as bright and clear as they look in hindsight. And uh, I didn't know if there were moments or a single moment that you reflect on and go, wow, that was a moment in time for me that really shaped the life that I have now
0: so um, in 2010 when the um, census was uh 2010 census was coming out and um it was evident that multicultural groups were growing exponentially faster than um non-hispanic whites uh my, my husband who's um, a multicultural marketing um executive and worked with png coca-cola um, uh, disney and so and, and other companies um in the multicultural um, and diversity space uh, he and I were both getting a lot of questions from companies and, and executives saying, "Oh my gosh, like I've never targeted, you know, multicultural segments. What do I do? How do I start? Where do I go? What you know?" Uh, and so uh, we decided that it was it was a great time to um, to start a business. So he um, he uh, left uh, Disney. And I I kept working for about um, five or six months, of, so we would have some semblance of money coming into the house mm-hmm. um, while we opened up our business. Uh, and um, five or six months later, you know, working twenty-hour days and weekends, it was like I just it was like okay, either we believe in this and we're going to do it, or we can't do it anymore. So, so anyway, um, we 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 started working together, and um, it, this this office, my home office here, this was our office. We were both here together,
1: mm-hmm. and.
0: Um, After one week, I thought, "Oh my God, what the hell did I do?" I I quit my job, (laughs) and here I am sitting with my husband every day. I can't leave. I I sleep with him. I eat with him. I, 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 and it was just—it was a lot. It was a lot. And I'm, and and he felt the same way. All of a sudden, it was a lot. And you know, I was like, "Okay, I need to take a walk." I just can't look at you right now, you know. and it was also scary because we both left, you know, our jobs, our, our careers. We had three kids, you know, two of them were, you know, um, in high school, another one in grade school. And, you know, we had to, we, we we made a promise to them the day that we were born, that we were gonna provide for them, that we were gonna care for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and taking this huge risk, both of us at the same time, was something we were really, really nervous about. But um, the truth of the matter is that um, we, the our the work that we had done before um, helped legitimize you know our our ability to deliver when companies came to us and said, "Can I have help?" Right? Had I done that in my twenties, like a lot of people say, "Oh, when you're twenties, you can open up your company. You don't have to think about anybody else but yourself, and you're fine." Yeah, but you don't have the experience. You don't have the connections. You don't have the wherewithal. You don't have um, the maturity that that we thankfully had when we did, um, at least most days, um, and um, and we. We now, you know, we've celebrated our 10th year anniversary. Uh, we, you know, we have blue chip clients that, um, that come to us, have come to us. You know, uh, we are incredibly fortunate to work with companies like McDonald's and Coca-Cola and, and Dunkin' Donuts and P&G and, and you know, and so, and so many more, and um, in doing their multicultural and, um, and diversity strategies. And, um, and it's been an incredible journey Being a business owner is, you know, I mean, you have your own worries and your own things, different things keep you up at night. It's not that, you know, um, it's, it's, it's no easy, not easier or harder, I think, than working for somebody else. It's just different. But, um, but the experience to have um, worked with my husband and learned as much from him as he's learned from me has been beautiful. Um, Having my kids, you know, see that, that we built something because we believed in ourselves and we believed in each other is amazing, and mm. um, and then also, I mean, when you have, we we've been fortunate also because we had our own company to be able to have a semblance of a work life balance. And I say that because we work like crazy, and you know, um, we have not stopped paying our dues. Uh, one day I hope I stop paying my dues and don't have to work this hard anymore, um, but but I haven't. I still am paying my dues. But what I can do is I can go to every single baseball game or every single um, voice competition or every single you know, uh, event or milestone in my children's life. Because if I need to work till midnight that night, I do. But mm. I make sure that I'm with them and there for them for everything that matters. And that nobody can take away from me either. So it's been, it's been an incredible journey that, yeah, stemmed from taking a huge mm. risk. And some people might think it was crazy, but it worked.
2: Wow. So many questions I want to ask about it, but then you'd spill the secret sauce to taking big risks (laughs) and maybe, maybe we'll, 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 we'll keep that for you, but I want to ask the inverse of that question. And I hope you'll allow some vulnerability, which is with risk comes possible failure, you know? And I love, I ask all of my friends about this because I think people look to folks like you, Lisette, and uh, maybe they look to me like this or others in our industry and they just think that it always works out. You know, it just, it's just, oh, they're just brilliant. And whatever they touch is just gold, you know, but along the journey, you know, we do experience failure and, and, and I'm trying to really help people understand that failure is actually a part of the process of achieving success. Right. And I didn't know if there was a moment And it doesn't have to be failure in the reference to something that's bad. It might just be a a point of discovery, a point of reflection, or a a challenging moment that you may have experienced after taking this big risk and establishing a business with your husband sitting in an office together every day. And God bless you for that. That alone is triumph. Uh, But I'd love to hear about a moment where you felt like this didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to. But had I not experienced that, I'm not sure I'd be where I am today.
0: Um, yeah, I, um, so I think it comes from, well, it doesn't come from getting to know yourself, knowing yourself. Failure leads you to know yourself better in yes, life, right? Does. Yes, it and, does. Um, so I'm an open book. When it comes to stuff, I mean, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't play poker, but I probably shouldn't play poker because people would know <laughs> exactly what my hand is before I even show it. Um, I, yeah. I don't, I don't, you know, I, 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 What I see is what you, what you see is what you get, and I say things, and I'm very open, and, um, and that that comes, um, at, at, as a, I'm proud of that, but it's not always easy, and I think that, you know, I think one of the things that I've had to learn is to think about things before i say them sometimes and figure out the way you say things right so you know it is not necessarily spinning them but but to be um uh conscientious of of what your message is what the purpose is why you're saying things um and uh and and so and and also to put yourself in in somebody else's shoes before you do speak and i think that when I was younger, I was very quick to offer my, oh, well, I'm just going to tell you how it is. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to, this is what I see, and this is what I see. And, um, and that came with sometimes when people are saying, okay, you're out of line, or, um, or yeah, I disagree, or, you know, or, or with people maybe not liking me because I was just too forceful. Um, and, um, and I think that with time, I've learned that you can accomplish the same things in life um, and still be an open book. But you can also be a little bit more thoughtful and introspective about the way you say things Mm. um, and the way and and it's actually one of the things that i've i have learned from my husband i you know if someone calls and i'm like oh you know whatever no and i'll just like say whatever i'm thinking right and my husband has a way of saying things where people he said the same thing but at the end they thank him and they hung up the phone on me right so Mm -hmm. We tried to accomplish the same thing, but he just said it in a very diplomatic way. And I think his experience working in corporate America shaped that ability to to deal with corporate politics and deal with things and, and be able to accomplish things, but at the same time be very um, thoughtful and purposeful in his messaging. And um, I think one of the most, um, the, the greatest um, opportunities for growth that I've experienced um, working with my husband is seeing the way he frames things and seeing the way he talks about things. And, and sometimes having me take a step back and say, okay, so let's learn from that mm. and, and think about how I would do things differently. And sometimes I found myself picking up the phone and saying, mm, what would Gilbert say here? And, um and I, and, you know, and, and it is, it's, um it's, it's, he is fabulous at that i'm i'm great at some things i'm and he's better at some things than i am and and that's why this partnership has worked so well because we complement each other so well um both personally and professionally uh, and i've learned a lot and um and i've grown a lot and he's learned a lot and grown a lot and i think that you know i am much more daring and much more like you know let's do this and he's more like think about it and i think he's he's been willing to say, okay, okay, Lucette, if you believe it, I, let's go for it. Let's go for it. So he's he's throwing himself out there a little bit more, and I'm pulling myself back a little bit more, and I think that's a happy medium.
2: Well, it, it's also a good confirmation of the power of togetherness. I think sometimes there's a misconception that success in life or professionally comes from this tremendous individual effort, but it doesn't. It really does come from a steep intention around collaboration and partnership. You and your husband, of course, have an extreme version of it because you're partners in many, many ways, but being vulnerable and accepting some feedback and also just watching and learning from others' behavior and adapting your approach is something that takes a lot of courage and actually a lot of guts to sort of interpret and accept, especially when in our industry, we have a lot of A-type personalities and being able to humble yourself and, and and take that introspection is really key. So what I wanted to ask you as a build on that, especially thinking about Gilbert and your husband and your family, which I think is fair to say, Gilbert provides in his own way, some form of inspiration for what you do in your work. I wanted to ask, what is inspiring you today? You know, what is when you go to bed at night and you think about this is essentially what makes me happy. This is why I'm here. This is essentially what makes me feel like this whole thing is worth doing and nothing against uh, you know, our day-to-day work because a lot of what you do is actually a huge part of inspiration. So let me maybe preclude the question, helping brands figure out how to connect with people of all walks of life is a mission of life, actually, because it actually starts to generate more confidence with individuals of multicultural backgrounds from an early day. If you see yourself in an ad, if you see yourself in a marketing message, if you see yourself as the banker, as opposed to the customer, you can start to believe that that's a path for you. And that goes a long way. So in some way, your work is probably your mission. But I just wanted to ask you if there are other things that are really inspiring you today and driving you uh, to, you know, become a better person and and live the life that you aspire to achieve.
0: I mean, I think that if I had to put it all into one word, it would mean, I would say equity. Mm, I love and I that. I think that it's equity across the board. And you know, as my children were growing up, there were never any different rules because I had a daughter versus having a son. There were rules for my children, and that was at you know, mm. um, it was an equitable playing field as far as rules and as far as opportunities. Um, and um, when you look at you know as, at my professional career now and the work that I'm doing and in, 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 you know trying to get companies to prioritize multicultural segments and trying to to, to you know make them realize that. This prioritization is not the, you know, the the good of, is to be good to these people and to be compassionate for these people. It's because you're gonna you're gonna um, maximize your growth. It's a smart thing to do, and by the way, um, it's also the right thing to do. Uh, and um, you know, we we've created. Um, uh, through the alliance for inclusive and multicultural marketing that i co-founded uh with with gilbert and my business partner carlos santiago and the ana uh, we we brought together um industry leaders from black hispanic asian african american uh lgbtq people with disabilities uh together from corporations agencies trade associations media companies um, advertising agencies and so on uh, for the common good and we've we've it created um, tools, research, um, and, and work that all that, that are all based on, on ensuring that we are in a more equitable playing field as far as how we reflect the individuals that we're trying to target, how we stand away from stereotypes. You know, most recently we did a campaign dur- that ran during the Emmys uh, called Here. Um, it's, um, that, um, it's a 60 second spot that ran, uh, and, um, with, and we have which, the was, sorry, which
2: was brilliant, by the way, if people haven't yeah. seen it, I will make sure to post access to it. If you allow in the show notes, because it's a beautiful piece. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but very inspiring.
0: Thank you. It's actually yes on YouTube AIM.net. dot uh, is our handle and then if you look at the word here it's um, and we had the incredible fortune of working with Billy Porter with Liman Miranda, with Daniel Day Kim with Isis King with Jamie Chung Nicole Scher- Scherzinger all actors um, either Black Hispanic um, uh, Asian uh, LGBTQ uh, and um, and or mixed race um and um and specifically with isis king a trans actor who is she's you know absolutely fantastic and um all of these people even though they are you know great actors have gone through you know give, being given roles there that are, that are where they're being stereotypes or have not been given roles because they don't fit the mold or mm. have not been given roles roles because you know as a as a trans you know you don't play a man you don't play a woman what are we going to put you as right mm. and um uh it's one of the most invisible segments that we have in society so so being able to send a message to Hollywood that we are here and we're not going anywhere and and we are so powerful and so beautiful the way we are that you don't have to reinvent us either when you're writing us right um uh uh we um so the, the one of my favorite lines is that um that is said by uh, Billy Porter is we are more than a splash of color on your white canvas, mm. and um, it's mm. it's powerful but so true. You know what? There's more to us than that, so there's no need to reinvent us. And and I think that you know whether it's in the advertising and marketing and now entertainment industry, you know what we're looking for is equity. We're not looking for anything else. We're just looking for you know when you when you represent a white male in a you know in a spot or in a in a program. You don't stereotype them. You give them the ability to be anybody who they want to be, anybody mm. they can be, right? So what we want in return is when you hire a, a Black, a Hispanic, a, a, a Asian, a trans, whatever actor that you decide to, to hire, just give them the opportunity to be as big as they can be, just like everybody else. Mm. And, mm. Um, and the, the thing is that these, these portrayals are it's, is what are formulating people's opinions of um, of segments, right? It takes me back to when I went to University of Michigan. When people didn't know anything about me is because number one, I was invisible on TV. And when I was portrayed, I was portrayed, you know, speaking as a, you know, Hispanic woman, as a housekeeper, as a, um, as a sex slave, as a, as a bombshell, as a, you know, and I was never portrayed as just, you know, uh, an intelligent executive who could achieve anything she, want, anything she wants to achieve. That wasn't anywhere. There were no Hispanics unless you looked at endemic media and then you're looking at, you know, programming in Spanish. That's, you know, not, um, not stereotyping, you know, people like me. But other than that, uh, people like me weren't on TV. So people like me like weren't on commercials. They were all like, you know, different.
2: Mm -hmm. And it's that sort of. I want to call it submission by omission. It's like we are then positioned in the space in which we have to submit to being other because we've been omitted from public vision for so, so long. And it's a lot to carry. It is. You not only have to carry this burden of being multicultural as a human, but you carry it and you thrive in it professionally. So I know I won't have you forever, as much as I want to ask you so many more questions, I want to ask, how are you finding self-care? How are you taking care of yourself these days? You know, for someone like me, you know, I'm at home, I've got my family and I'm not in front of people as often as I would like to be. My That's my self-care, kind of, my dogs. You see, what I kind of, let's see, family. what kind of dog is it? What kind of dog is it?
0: Australian Shepherd.
2: Oh my gosh. He, he's is a boy or a girl?
0: I have a boy and a girl, but the oh girl is God. the one that worked,
2: yeah. Oh, she's so beautiful. I love her. She's now, She wants some attention. She's She's like, hey, listen, I need yeah. to get involved in this one too. But maybe it is your dogs or your pets, but, you know, with us being home and not being able to do all the things that we would like to do, you know, how have you spent this year just taking care of yourself and getting away a little bit without having to have such a burden on your plate? How have you relaxed and found some self-care?
0: Um, that's a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) That's a tough question. I, you know, I, I think that, um, unfortunately, I think that what, you know, when something has to give, it's always like, you know, yourself, especially, you know, when you work and you have a family and, you know, but I think self-care comes in, um, you know, as I mentioned before, my, my kids come over every weekend and we, um, and we spend time together and we have dinner together and we scream at the TV when it's, you know, um, when we're, you know, looking at politics and, and you know, challenged by the, by the reality of today's life. Um, and I, you know, even if it's a passionate moment is, you know, it's even just, I mean, I'm fortunate to live in LA. So, you know, going outside and getting in the pool for a little while and just, you know, just enjoying a little bit of fresh air. Is, is as good as it gets. And um, uh, I um, go getting, you know, going away physically is just so difficult without being able to travel and everything, you know, I mean, last year, I got, I got on on 60 something odd planes for business. And, you know, it, it, I, um, I was traveling, you know, every, every week, every couple of weeks, and I was going different places. You know, sometimes I could check back into my flight when I landed because mm-hmm. I was going to be there for less than 24 hours and you know, you can check back in. And um, I, so I think that, I mean, for the, me this year, self-care has also been not getting on 60 something planes and you know, being able to be home and enjoy my barking dogs and, <laughs> and family and, um, uh, and yeah, it, I think it's a little things in life that you learn to appreciate more that maybe you took for granted before. And it's the little things in life I think that now make me so happy um, that, um, that I'm alive and, and that, you know, I'm, I, I have, I know people who've lost, um, family and friends from COVID. Um, and, um, I mean, I, my, my great aunt unfortunately did pass from COVID, um, a few months ago, she was 84. Um, and, um, you know, my first reaction, of course, is always to fight it. I'm like, so it takes me to that place. Um, but it also makes me realize how lucky I am that I still have my kids, that I still have my husband, that I still have my siblings and, and that I live in a home that, you know, I can, I can go outside and, and enjoy the fresh air. Um, and, um, and that my business is still, you know, flourishing, uh, as a small business owner, um, I empathize with so many others who don't have that same, you know, um, gift to still be able to have a business in a, in a form of, of, of income that, you know, keeps you going so it's been a it's been a tough year and at the same time we can be introspective and think oh my god this all of these things have been wonderful but they've been also wonderful because I'm so lucky mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. they haven't been so wonderful for other people and we have to remember that.
2: well I want to thank you with the time for the time you've given me and close with one last question and it builds on what I hope people have learned about you and I have had the fortune of being inspired by which is, and I hope you don't judge me or laugh at me for giving you this sort of definition of source, but you're a person that's very thankful. And I think that as you become successful in life, I believe people lose their weight in thankfulness and gratitude and humility. And it's something about your personality. And and I'm sure it's a big part of your success that has gotten you to where you are as you, you, you really do exude an extreme amount of thankfulness, humility, and appreciation for people in life. And it's inspired me for sure. Someone that really appreciates and loves their family and is committed to creating a legacy for your family. One that they can look upon and be proud of. They look at their mom and I can imagine in your home, your children probably call you more of their friend than their mom because you can relate to them and you care about them and you spend so much time with them. And also someone that's just very appreciative for the opportunities that we have and also the challenges that we've overcome. And it's really inspired me. And it's why I'm very, very, very thankful to simply know you and to have an opportunity to talk to you. But as we close, I'd love for you to give others inspiration. There are people out there, Lissette, that may not be feeling as fortunate as they should or may not know the way to go. And I feel like everyone that I talk to has a mantra, has a creed, has a way of life that they profess to other people that gives them some encouragement and maybe a bit of guidance. So I love if you wouldn't mind just sharing a personal creed or a or personal rule or, or mantra of sorts that keeps you going and guides how you approach the world and the people around you.
0: Um. Well, before I before I go there, I do want to say that I want to go back to the day um, we, we met on on a little screen where your screen was the same size as mine. <laughs> and, um, and we had the chance to, to share some of the work that we were doing, and um, I must say that I was incredibly inspired and impressed. By your intellect, your passion, and and your uh, determination to to affect change, and um and I and I was just in awe. I was like, wow, this is this is a really cool guy, and um and he's and he's doing amazing things. And, um I um I myself am fortunate to have gotten to know you, and I thank you for the invitation to join you today. So, uh and uh I. I feel like now I have to interview you and get to know more about you because I feel like we we spent too much time on me. So that's 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 the next thing that we do. But you know um, as far as mantra I would say just a couple of things. I was like, you know, um, the you know the um, the sky's the limit is definitely. I mean, just, you know, do not settle is is one no matter who you are or who you're told that you are. You know, um I think that um, we we do live in a very um, difficult um, world right now, but at the same time, we've had the fortune to to see a, a black president and a, and a black vice president, something that people before us never never thought would ever happen, or even people today who you know um, wish it wish it hadn't, but it has, and yeah. it's and it's and it's true. And, and so there are, there are some things that are happening and they're not happening because we had one single individual like Obama, who was exceptional. Yes, he was exceptional, but he did it because he did it with others. Right. And I think that ensuring that we, that we build ourselves and build our communities with others, you know, it takes a village. And and it takes a village, whether you're building your business, whether you're building your home, whether you're you're building your self-esteem or your emotions and and counting on others and letting them know when they when you need them and and also counting on them when they're better at at things than you are and asking for their support and their guidance is important. Uh, And um, and I think that's super important and. Uh, we, if, if we've seen, uh, you know, a black president and a black vice president, we'll see a Hispanic one one day. We'll see an Asian one one day. Um, we'll have a hey. We'll have a female president. I always think that it's funny that, you know, we claim to be, you know, a first world country and so ahead of everybody, but so many, you know, third world countries have had female leaders already, and and to us, that's that's something we just won't, you know, won't even consider, and and that's that's unfortunate, you know, and even as others build walls around us it's about it's it's you know it's our it's our work and our mission to tear those down and make sure we tear them down not only for ourselves but for others around us